Hey guys, remember last week when I asked you to take a survey and I said it was going to be really long and really boring? Turns out I lied. It's super short. It's super easy. So please go to survey.libsyn.com, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com slash Tully Show. Even though it is super easy and not long and boring like I thought it was, my offer from last week still stands. I will give you a lap dance or perform a murder for hire on your behalf. I'm also willing to sleep with you, your significant other, or both of you at the same time. If and only if you go to survey.libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N. SYN.com slash Tully Show. Thank you for doing that. And now on with the show. Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, a founding member of one of the seminal sketch comedy troops you have seen among Kids in the Hall, you have heard him on numerous animated projects, including one of my personal favorites, Invader Zim. And you can hear him hosting the new variety show podcast, Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show. And with an intro like that, I can only be speaking of Kevin McDonald. Hello. Hello. It was so exciting. The music was so exciting. <coughs> you and I talked a little bit before. It was very calm, and all of a sudden it was very exciting. So I, yeah. I have like emotional pneumonia from calm uh, to excitement. Yeah, that's what we do. We turn it up, we turn it down. It's going to get super sad in here momentarily. Yeah, and, and then I'll then, get a cold and die. And then it'll be rapturous, and <laughs> yes. you, you, you'll, you'll laugh, you'll cry. It'll become a part of you. And I'm always like, uh, Dave and I, I guess, are always called the founding members. I, I often feel, what uh, what does it feel to be like Bruce McCullough or Scott Thompson uh, when they're uh, being interviewed? They're not called a founding member. What are they called? Just a later member? Well. Ringo Starr? Maybe they should have been there the day that you and Dave started yes. making comedy. Maybe if they had thought of that at the time. It's their fault that they're the Ringo Starr. Then. Not... I love Ringo Starr. Do, love... do you? Yeah. I think he's a great drummer. Uh, I think do he... you? I'm miming drumming, and I have no sense of rhythm, so Michael Tully is staring at me strangely. You're but... hitting a lot of drums at the same time. Am I? I, I don't know. Are you, you're musical. I like music uh, enough that I taught myself some major chords and I do write comedy songs. Um, I have a comedy song. I'm going to do my couple podcasts uh, about a, uh, comedy songwriters who can only write an E, A, and B. And it's an E, A, and B. Oh, then I, in the mid-eight, I make a mistake and I go to uh, D minor and I get stuck. D minor would not be in key. It would not be in key. Which is... It's good because I, think that's I said i got to get back to E yeah. and uh, say I'm in the wrong key rhymes. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. I realized that as I was doing it. Have you always had a musical component to your comedy, or is this uh, is this a new thing? Have you written like Bruce has been doing comedy music yes. for a long time and kids music, and maybe two at the same time? I w- I always wanted to, but I uh, had to wait till I was thirty four when I got my first guitar. Um, uh, I, as a birthday gift, I got a guitar, an electric guitar, and, and with it, I got a um, a chord book. And um, uh, every month I learned a chord. I was just E for like uh, all of uh, May, mid-May to mid-June. Wow. I was a, you can pretty much June. play Heroin by uh, the Velvet Underground. Yes, uh, that was my first <laughs> song. And then Leaving on a Jet Plane. Heroin, Leaving on a Jet Plane. That's pretty much all you really need to know. <laughs> Everything else is just showing off. Everything in between. Yeah, Heroin and uh, Leaving on a Jet Plane are my two uh, covers that I do. So... Uh, congratulations on the new show, and congratulations on thank the you. fabulous uh, guests that you've been attracting. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Uh, yes, uh, in fact, the, the guests are better than the show, let's face it. Well, you know. That was irreverent. They've been, that was, exactly. <laughs> now let's just get the show obscene, and we'll be right at home uh, uh, on this Faction uh, Talk uh, channel. Uh, yes, uh, Start dropping F-bombs whenever you feel like uh, it. All right. Um, I'm a little bit surprised to find out that, based on what I've read, this is the show you've sort of been dreaming of doing. Yes. I think of Kids in the Hall as being like a taboo-breaking, rule-breaking, boundary-pushing, but at, at the end of the day, you actually wanted to do like an old-time, yes. let's-put-on-a-show yes. variety show. With the Kids in the Hall, I always felt uh, were the um, the odd children of Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lewis. And um, and I don't just lump myself in Jerry Lewis, <laughs> which seems the obvious thing. I also loved Andy Kaufman. Um, and um, I think... Um, my favorite comics can do uh, like anti comedy and weird stuff, and they can and they have perfect timing and can write jokes. And uh, so, part of me really liked the old time, but 
Sorry for screaming. That was irreverent. Screaming is irreverent. Please have at it. Make <laughs> yourself at home. Really, you explode Especially the my space. Bad voice. But um, Jack Benny was um, that was sort of anti comedy in a way. Was like, it? It was like a show within the show. So he had a show and he had guests, but the plot of the show was always. Uh, the problem that they had, and they never really got to the show part. Oh, the the show was making the show kind of. Yeah, thing. yeah, and then that, I use a part of that for my podcast. So now, I, I'm not. That's not cutting edge anymore. But Jack Benny was, and I think Larry uh, Sanders took that sort of in his first show and his second show a bit. Uh, uh, yeah, Gary Shandling did, and then as Larry yeah. Sanders. No, his name is Larry Sanders. <laughs> his real name is Larry Sanders. Yeah, it was a it was a fictionalized version of himself that first time <laughs> yes. around on Fox. Gary, yes. <laughs> um, you don't seem like I could be wrong. You have to have a little bit of um, uh, be a little bit of attention starved to be a performer, maybe. But you don't seem like the kind of person who would necessarily relishes being the center of attention. And yet now you have a show that has your name in the title twice. <laughs> That's like a question. Are you like a therapist? That's like a. That's like cutting me to the bone. This is a totally safe space. Uh, yes, it is. I feel very safe. I, I'm not safe enough to swear yet, but by minute 18, I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll be very safe. We've got swear. a whole hour. We got a whole hour for me to swear. For very reasonable $300 an hour. Uh, yes, it's uh, very reasonable. Uh, th- thank you very much. And people get to hear it, so that's good. Um, <laughs> I want to sleep with my mother. There, that was uh, cutting edge. There, perfect. That's not quite a swear, but mm-hmm. it's uh, it's halfway there. You're, you're you're getting there. You're in you're in the right ballpark. <laughs> yes, I'm one of the. I, you hear this about a lot of comics, but I'm uh, since I'm I do extremes. I do it better than every other comic. I'm half very very shy and half very very much of a ham. So I'm a like a shy ham, and um, it's like I get these ideas and then I'm really shy about it. But then I think. These ideas are way too good. I have to share them with people. I have to tell people these ideas. And then I go and perform them. And nobody else is going to... No one else is going to take my ideas. And if they do, they're not going to do it shitty because you, you're the only because one Because they really... don't like them. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, they're also because of that. I always wonder if I gave my song to uh, like my songs to real musicians, what they would sound like. But I'm sure... It would be too good, and it wouldn't be ex- it wouldn't be at all what I expected. It would lose some of the charm, yes, for sure. Yes. So, um, just going backwards for a, a little bit, you seem kids in the hall seem consummately Canadian. That's, I mean, I, I think yes. I, the first time I had a sense that there was a difference between American culture and Canadian culture was watching oh, kids in the hall. That's neat. Um, I was a little young for Strange Brew, but <laughs> you. You at least spent part of your childhood in Southern California? Yes, uh, grade one and two. My dad, the dental equipment salesman, was transferred, and he was the, uh, the he was the advisor to the advisor. And the, you know the Walter Matha movie, You're Too Young, Cactus Flower, where he played a dentist? I'm, sure I, I'm sorry, I don't. He was on the set, and he told the guy to tell the guy how to uh, hold uh, dental equipment. Oh, I see. Yes. Uh, so he's in the base. Goldie Hawn won the Oscar for that. Oh, wow. And she yes. couldn't have done it without your dad. She didn't need my dad. My dad couldn't advise her on anything. In an indirect sort of way, though. Probably well, instrumental. She was like the dentist groupie, and uh, I don't think there's dental equipment salesman groupie, so you probably couldn't help her with the groupie aspect. Here, you hold this. I, I don't think you can. Yeah. So do you feel like you had like a unique per- – Southern California and Canada are different? Yes. I mean, do you feel like you got a unique perspective on both places at a like a, a particularly early age? Absolutely. I feel like – actually, let's throw something else in there. I feel a third, a third of the third. I feel uh, Canadian, I feel American, and I feel British. Um, so I'm nervous. That's Canadian. I'm aggressive. That's American. And I'm dry. That's British. Um, I'm, I'm nervous, dry, aggressive. Uh, but people don't know I'm aggressive. No, no, I don't. Because the nervous and dry overtake it right. every now and then. But if you uh, live with me for 12 years and divorce me, you would know that I was aggressive. I not see. physically! Of course not. Of course not. That would seem to lend itself to uh, nervous aggression would seem to be a passive sort of aggression. This is like a th- This is mm. worth the $300. I'm worth every penny. Passive aggressive. Yes, the kids in the hall of, uh, year, for years enjoyed calling me passive aggressive. And uh, one of my first songs that I wrote um, is uh, called the passive aggressive song. Okay, so... Pretty much spot on. Why do you say? I swear a lot on that song. I'll have to check that out. Maybe we'll tag it on the end of the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, why do you say you feel somewhat British? Uh, because Canada is a little British. We still believe in the Queen. Uh, she comes and visits, and uh, way more than the states. And you pay for her to come too. Well, I, I personally pay for the Queen to come. <laughs> it's really nice of you. <laughs> well, because I'm so uh, Canadian British, and uh, we get a lot of their TV. So. Um, we got Monty Python a few years before you guys did. You're too young anyway, to, mm-hmm. uh, so it wouldn't have been an issue for you. So uh, I was watching. I was an expert of Monty Python by the time Saturday Night Live started, and I think I got both those sensibilities. Right. See, I missed Monty Python for the most part, and by the time I went back, um, I am a, a hick with simple tastes, and I'm not too ashamed to tell you that I didn't get all of it. 
Monty Python? Yeah, which is, uh, I'm enough of a hick that I'm also willing to admit this to you to your face, very often the way that I felt about Kids in the Hall. I felt oh. like 50% of the time I was- a 50% of the time I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. That's very fun. I know what's going on here. And sometimes I think part of the fun was patting yourself on the back for, I understand what the joke is here. But then there was another, it was a bit younger, maybe be different if I went back and looked at all of it all over again. Right. Um, but then there was like another 50% where I was like, I'm really not sure what's going on. My question is, yes. did you understand every sketch? Did you did you find everything Good funny? Uh, First of all, I wanted to, before I answer that, because that's a great question, I should say there's a third 50%. <laughs> okay, that's great. Where I didn't understand uh, Monty Python. I didn't understand Pink Floyd uh, animals, uh, but I worked at it. Uh, and I worked at it because I knew there was something happening there. That mm-hmm. uh, I mean, and I understood enough Monty Python to enc- and, and animals. There's that one catchy song inside, too, to encourage me to work at it and it was very rewarding and um, and what was your excellent question so did, did you get all of the the jokes on, or was, I guess I'd put it another no. way did Kids in the Hall ever just say man that's just fucking weird let's do it Yes, um, Love and Sausages uh, was uh, was a, I don't know if you know the sketch Love and Sausages please refresh my memory um, it's a sketch it was uh, written by Norm Hiscock by, uh, by the last few seasons we had hired uh, a couple guys who were in the kids in the hall to help us write it because we were getting old and tired. So we wrote with them. And um, uh, Norm wrote that with Bruce McCullough. And Norm wrote it first, and then Bruce liked it, and he rewrote it. And um, Norm originally wrote it with me in mind, so it was more shticky about a guy who is sort of um, a David Lynch-esque, uh, could be the future, may not be the future, but a guy who works in a sausage factory um, and has a grandfather who eats sausages a lot. Uh-huh. And there's a woman that he may or may not love uh, and there's a lot of weird shots, um, but it was more comedy. Sorry, and then Bruce, he said, I, I know what to do with this, which was basically drain the comedy out. Uh, and uh, people love it. They're obsessed with it. And at first, Dave and I, I think we felt it was our job because there were the camps in Kids in the Hall. Um, Dave and I, were the, the comedy, always the comedy. And uh, Bruce and Mark, well, it's not just the comedy. It's the mood and the feeling and and, and, and Scott would be the kind of person who would vote Democrat or Republican depending on the candidate. Oh, so you, ha- you had a swing vote. We had a swing vote. That's, oh, man. That's the term, a swing vote. That's a lot of pressure on him. <laughs> and I forget which way he swung, but I, I, I think Dave and I more felt it was our job to fight against love and sausages. Now we love it, of course. Um, and then when our producers started fighting against the two, then Dave and I fought for it. Um, and, of course, Bruce edited way too long. And it's a very strange, <laughs> ambiguous you say, you say, of course. Of course. <laughs> and... Really, like I love the sketch. It should have been our first movie. I really think that now. But comedy-wise, there are a lot of like things that are like again like weird British dry. The oh, that's sort of funny the way he walks down the street in the weird angle. The only hard laughs are Scott as the grandfather yelling sausages, sausages. I want sausages. Yeah, you can't go wrong with you that. Can't go wrong. Sausages are <laughs> perhaps our funniest food. So yes, exactly, and an old man and sausages together. So we uh, that was our closest thing to uh, to a hard laugh. But uh, that was that was weird. That was one of our weird sketches, and people like to mention it now. They think it's a badge of honor to tell me that I like you know I get love and sausages. Like they say, it like they're whispering. Mm-hmm. Like it's a secret uh, club. <laughs> yes, because usually it's after a show where there's only kids in the hall fans, so people know what he's talking about. And, yeah, uh, and he says, uh, I I got to tell you, I like. He emphasizes the word like. I like love I like, as opposed to the others. When you meet uh, kids in the hall fans, do you, uh, how many of them are like your age or within ten or fifteen years? Like, are, is there a new generation of this kids is? In the hall um, fans? It was a joke I said in our last tour, but it's based on truth. And I guess I should update the age. But the average kids in the hall fan is a uh, white forty-one-year-old male who ha- who has a girlfriend and has never been married. Probably never been to third base. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> who grew up watching us in college while getting high all the time mm-hmm. uh, and refusing to study. That that would be the av- that's the average. But um, a middle aged beta male, a middle aged beta male. Yeah, yeah, not alpha. Yeah, if he was in a reality show being filmed, he wouldn't say I'm. A, you know, I'm alpha and alpha. He would be the first kind of reality <laughs> show to go. I'm kind of beta. So Do I'm you know what? She might be happy with this other guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe happy with this other guy. Who knows what'll happen? Maybe she I'll be lucky. What makes her happy. I don't know. <laughs> I might be lucky. <laughs> I'd love to see that in a reality show. 
So, uh, yeah, beta, but, but there are people our age, uh, mid-50s, and there are young people mm-hmm. for some reason, uh, maybe YouTube, um, or maybe their parents. I don't know. But um, but the I would say the average is your, uh, your male in your early 40s. Yeah, well, there's always going to be some young people who have taste, and thank God for them. Thank you. Do you like our show yet all the way, 100%, or are you still 50? You got to go back and watch it. I'm gonna have to go watch it again, but I'm. I'm I mean, I'm. I'm being there told are hard laughs. We just. We were yeah. never weird for except for I'm, sausages. I'm we were never weird I for. I really Wednesday. like the. Sh- I'm saying no, I, I, I. I love the show, but I and but I just. I felt like it was maybe it was my failure as a as a as a mind or as a comedy fan that I was like, well, the 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 crowd is laughing just as hard at this if as they did at the last one. What the hell am I am I missing? <laughs> That's very nice. Yeah, I always say sketch comedy is hit and miss, except. Mm-hmm. I, th- I don't think I'm going on a limb here. I think people agree with me that you may not get the same highs as the highs of a Monty Python or maybe Kids in the Hall, <clears throat> but it seemed to me that Keen Peel was always hit. God, they're so good. It was like uh, so consistent. Mm-hmm. And and again, maybe you don't get the stu- super stuff, the weird stuff that you're obsessed with, um, like Monty Python is, and maybe us. Um, but over and over, every it wasn't hit and miss. It was hit and hit, which is really weird in sketch comedy. Well, they were. Were you guys doing a half hour as well? Yes. Oh, well, there goes that excuse. <laughs> um, did you catch the Kroll show? Uh, you know what? I've only seen a few episodes. Of course, uh, he's brilliant, and of course, I uh, I love him. Yes, it's very very funny, and it's also frequently pretty hit and hit. pretty pretty weird as well. Oh yes, no, I know that. Yes, yeah. uh, No, I've, what I've seen, I've loved. I've got to see more. Um, Kids in the Hall. I, I noticed. I think I also learned that there was a distinct thing that was like corporate culture. Because huh. I feel like that was something that was made fun of. I'm thinking specifically yes. of like when uh, 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 businessmen are exchanging business cards, yes. like animals sniffing each other's assholes. Yes, and I we go, did a lot of that. Yes, right. And <coughs> I'm curious how you stumbled on that. Most comedy people don't go to a place like that because most comedy people have never had a real job. Yes, uh, I guess it was our fathers. Lauren Michaels used to say, "I'm about to." Uh, it's a bad Lauren impression anyway, but not Please, with my love, horse voice. It's I love gonna, Lauren impressions. It's going to be bad with my horse voice. He was, you know, uh, you know, guys, you do like businessmen like they did in the fifties, and that was like his point, <laughs> which is true. But it all comes from Bruce McCullough. That's how Bruce McCullough saw businessmen, and mm-hmm. we quickly. Uh, I I don't think the others will know that to agree. Maybe when they hear me say it, they'll think, "Oh yeah, you're right." But it came from Bruce McCullough. Choose your words carefully. All of the kids in the hall <laughs> listen to the show. Uh, yeah, I know all the kids. Hi, Scott. <laughs> uh, I, I think it came from Bruce McCullough. Uh, that was the w- unique way that he saw businessmen. The first sketch he wrote actually was. Uh, like it wasn't a hit, but it grew to other sketches, and we didn't do it on the TV show. It was a stage sketch uh, early on before we had a TV show where businessmen act like dogs and they just sniff each other's asses. That's a swear, right? Asses. I, I think. I'm, I think that still counts as one. Yeah. I think I'm doing cutting edge now. <laughs> uh, I talked about sleeping with my mother, who's dead. That's really cutting edge. Wow. If he'd mentioned that at the time, I would have realized this is some hot stuff. Yeah. We'll lead with that. Uh, that's irreverent. And uh, we uh, and then the the new guy was um, only Dave could have done this back then. Um, it was Dave Foley, and he was a cat, and we all chased him, and um, it was the prototype for what was to come. And then Bruce wrote a sketch called "Can I Keep Him." Where he plays a little boy who, instead of finding a stray dog, finds a stray businessman. And mm-hmm. I play the stray businessman, and I, and I don't really talk. And, and um, instead of barking, I give him, I give out cards. And, and that, <laughs> that was the beginning of the way we always play businessmen. Um, your comic persona, you, you, it seems like you often play someone who is frightened. And maybe and that's, you're reacting to this question almost yeah. as if you're you're frightened. I did frighten eyes, didn't I? When you said that, and not not in, in situations that don't always call for for fear. Are you aware <laughs> of that? Have you cultivated that? Is that something that comes naturally? I think it comes naturally. Of course, when you age and you see yourself a lot uh, when you're editing, you realize what you do, which mm-hmm. is a bad thing. And sometimes you're cultivating something you shouldn't and let, let go naturally. Uh, um, I think I try to forget that I uh, I am a fearful person. I live in fear. Every kid, every kid in the hall will tell you that. What are you so afraid of? A- anyone we kicked out of the kids in the hall will tell you that. <laughs> oh, Kevin wasn't around when he fired us. He was too afraid. <laughs> it was. Uh, I live in fear. And well, why uh, now? I mean, you're you're like you're 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 uh, you're you're I, over the hump as a human being. I, I was over the hump when I was under the hump. Like, uh, yeah, I, I was. Uh, I, I live full of fear. And What's so bad. And when, whatever you are, I think you tap into whatever it is you do. When what is it I do? Comedy. So my fear gets tapped into my comedy, and that's the only time it's a positive experience because I'm playing a I'm playing a guy who's afraid because. But the secret is because I'm really a guy who's afraid. Oh, I see. Oh, 
Well, that's kind of uh, that's kind of sad then. Yes, because especially I mean, some of the stuff you did gets got got, got fairly dark. <laughs> yes, and I always wondered if you were tapping into a real dark thing. And... Uh, like the scene Daddy drank, uh, it was based on my dad, who was a major uh, not only dental equipment salesman but an uh, alcoholic, and um, that was sort of that had a lot of fear in it. I, I came into the office one day, and Dave and Norm Hiscock, one, um, uh, the guy who wrote sausages. We always wrote together, Dave, Norm, and I, and um, we had no ideas. So I started telling horrible stories about my dad. I'll tell one because this is um, irreverent. <laughs> uh, and it became in the scene. Um, my dad would say this to me. I was 15 and 16. I never had a girlfriend. <clears throat> I was chubby and afraid and shy. And my dad, he had stopped going to work. He was working on his bankruptcy, like getting becoming bankrupt. And he said, hey, Kevin, how many girls called you today? Zero. Right. Yeah, yeah. How many uh, girls called you yesterday? Zero? Yeah. You know what zero times zero equals, don't you? Fag! <laughs> zero times e- zero always equals fag, my little gay mathematician. Sorry, that's oh, politically man. incorrect your dad, your now. Your dad wasn't only mean, he was funny. He was funny, but I, I didn't know that he was funny. Uh, but Dave and Norm started laughing, and then Dave said those words, that phrase you hear too much in a sketch comedy writing office. Hey, that could be a sketch. Yeah. I said, what? Yeah, you uh, saying that sounds like half of the kids in the hall saying that. I can picture that coming out of Bruce's mouth. I can yeah. picture that coming out of Dave's mouth. We How, all said that. Do you feel like, do you get catharsis out of working through that stuff professionally? Yes. Okay, do you don't feel, do you ever feel like, man, I'm trading in on? No. Uh, and maybe I am, but I don't think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Right before we like, we taped in front of a live audience, right before we taped it, I started sweating and going, uh, not sweating because I was about to tell the truth because it was disguised as a comedy sketch so people can tell it's real. I was sweating that it was going to bomb, that people were going to find it as sad as I had found it for like 28 years. That would be a very vulnerable place that to would be. be. Yeah, to do that about my dad, telling my dad, and bombing. And but everybody laughed a lot, and it was a big hit, and we did it on stage for uh, like many tours. <laughs> um, this is a great therapy interview. Thank you, thank you. Uh, this uh, next question, I don't yes. think we'll touch any uh, buttons. Sort. I have a lot of buttons, so I'll probably touch some buttons. Let's see if I can touch a button with this one. I don't think I will. Another thing, I feel like I learned about what it, what that there was a Canadian culture from yes. your show, and I learned about corporate culture. And frankly, I don't know if I ever saw a um, a depiction of homosexuality, and if I did, it was like of the one-dimensional comedic right. variety. So my question is, I'm sure you've answered this before, but I've never seen it. Was there ever a point where somebody was whispering in your ear, this would have broader appeal if you didn't have a gay character who owned his homosexuality in such a, a thorough sort of way? Yes, and I, I won't name names, but someone very high up in the Kitson Hall organization. Uh, oh, right. Maybe I did an impression. Yeah, uh, <laughs> talk to Scott, but he was—he was great. He was like um, whoever it was, he or she. Yeah, I would say he or she. They were great because they were—they knew that Scott was brilliant, and it was 1991 and 1992, and they thought um, that Scott may go further in his career mm-hmm. um, if if they didn't do that. They might but, still have been right, and they might have been right. They, yeah, Scott even admits that they might have been right. Um, may not have been the first person that man or woman had that conversation with a performer. Exactly. Oh, yeah. later. Uh, <laughs> Scott uh, Scott loved that that person told them that because mm-hmm. it showed that they cared and and the secret of the kids in the hall is that we're all looking for daddy figures though this person could have been a woman and <laughs> and, uh, uh-huh. and uh, Scott this person said, seems like the kind of person who could be a daddy figure to like a lot of people a lot of people <laughs> comics so uh, <laughs> so Scott um, but the, the, I honestly mean this the person was great to say that Scott was so touched he cried and he said, "Oh, thank you. That's exactly the right kind of advice I want to hear. I don't think I can do it personally, but 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 that's um, but, but thank you for saying that." Do you feel like did Canada was Canada a little bit ahead of the states in accepting that, or was it as edgy there as it was down here? I you know the the, the desire is to say the Canadian was a little bit of ahead because we we are more liberal and we are a little bit ahead. But if I really remember. I remember people thinking that, um, like, when we got off our like our first tours, uh, when our TV show just started, because our show was never a hit, like, till people started watching the Comedy Central. So we'd get out of our van, and then um, I, I remember people being there waiting to to call us slurs, like, and insults. What? Uh, yeah, uh, because they thought we were all um, we thought we were a gay comic troupe. 
And uh, and then we had to be cool, so we couldn't say, "Well, we're not gay." We just we were irreverent, yeah. and we would just make irreverent jokes that had nothing to do with anything. I mean, I could see that. I think it took me a second to figure that out, but that was as much a function of the time and place of if there's a gay element. Exactly, it's it must it's, be all gay. It's gay because who else would do it? Uh, right. Right, right, right. If you if you if you if you hang out with a with a gay dude, that makes yeah. you a gay dude. And plus, you guys were cross dressing half of the time. Yeah, yeah. We played women. We had to play extremely women extremely well. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, thank you very much. Um, um, uh, we had women in the. Tr- there were like before the TV show, there were like seventeen kids in the hall, but everyone and they were we were all as funny as each other. But everyone quit because they got good jobs at Second City or for writing for local TV shows in Toronto, and some of them were women. Um, so when it became the five of us. And it wasn't that we were the five best, but we we had the chemistry, I guess. You were the five who were least employed. Yeah, exactly. Gary Campbell should be the superstar, like comic. He, he was brilliant. Frank Van Keegan, Luciano Casimiro, these were brilliant. But it was five. But anyway, um, without the women, we had all these scenes about our girlfriends and our mothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mark was um, he had a scene idea like a, was it a solo? I forget. A, like a woman's character. I remember she had the strength of 10 men, but but that was our subtext. We never told the audience that. (laughs) I see. Uh, And so he was the first one to do it, and then Scott quickly jumped in, and it took uh, the others a little longer. I think I was third, and I forget who was fourth or fifth. Who cares? But Mm -hmm. we had had a stage show. We played to the same 60 people uh, every week, and then we never – we made a vow – that we would never, uh, we love Monty Python, but until Meaning of Life, Monty Python just played women with high pitched voices. And, uh, yes. So we swore. Very, very few English ladies actually speak like that. But in Meaning of Life, they got brilliant at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but we, we swore that we would never do high pitched voices and we would never wear wigs. And uh, so my girlfriend had a, uh, a red sweater at the time. So the audience knew that whoever was wearing the red sweater was playing a woman. And that's sort of... Uh, wow. And we wanted... There was some discussion when we got a TV show to continue the Red Woman thing. Mm-hmm. And here's my Lauren Michaels impression. It's a short one. Yeah. No. That's spot on. <laughs> it's like he's here. Guys, last time I will ask you to do this, I think, hopefully, please take my survey at com slash Tully Show. Look, just like you, I've heard other podcasts ask listeners to fill out surveys. And probably like most of you, I have totally ignored them. But please do me a solid and go to com slash Tully Show. In return, you will get one free lap dance, murder for hire, or I will sleep with both you and your partner. That is the Tully Show guarantee. Last time, it is survey.libsyn.com slash Tully Show. Well, seldom have uh, middle-aged women uh, been portrayed with that sort of depth on television, <laughs> whether played by men or women. So uh, congratulations on that. Yeah. We're like, uh, we're definitely a... F- no, if you said if I said we're a feminine group, that would give you the wrong idea because we're also like macho bully boys, like you heard about Sarah and I live in the early days. We, we, um, though there were no women to bully at that time, so mm-hmm. we just bullied each other. So we were also macho assholes. Who yeah, what were is feminine. That? What is that with comedy guys being dicks? But we were feminine macho assholes. I, it's just uh, comedy is a part of an aggression, and uh, it's like um, I see my stepson, who's a great hockey player. And he's playing junior hockey, and he's the gentlest guy in the world. But when he hangs out with his hockey friends, uh, the adrenaline comes out, and, and they swear more, and they're um, uh, mm-hmm. they're more masculine. More, and comedy is the same thing. It's um, we don't we're not physically aggressive, but uh, but the same adrenaline comes out. I'm not defending it. Yeah, no, yeah, of course. Especially not. if there's women in the room, I'm not uh, defending it. We were lucky that there weren't any women in the room by the mm-hmm. time we had, we had a TV show, but um, we were like bullying assholes to each other. Uh, but we had a touch of being feminine. <laughs> right, right, right. And everybody gets along fine nowadays. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this what I uh, this what I like to think. Camper uh, uh, Van Beethoven, a band I loved. I, I remember to, them. Yeah. Too young. Uh, the, oh, they were on the same What's Hot article in uh, Rolling Stone in '87. They were the hot band, and we were going to be the hot comedy troupe. We had and, an... and were you already a fan of theirs? Yes. That had to be so. Right. That was very exciting. Wow. But uh, they made uh, they have a they had a comeback ten years ago. I think they're touring now. And um, they were famous for fighting, as every band is. Mm-hmm. Who shares yes, a band that really together. is the biography <laughs> of every story. Yeah, there's no band that like got along. Um, and uh, they uh, they were interviewing the the violin player, and they said, "Do you guys still fight?" He said, um, uh, "When you're in your 20s, it's your job to be an asshole. Uh, when you're over 50, 
you want to survive more, and so you're polite to each other. And then that's sort of what we're like. Okay. And I also heard, I think it was the guy from Soul Asylum say that by the time his band got successful, he's like, we've all heard each other's stories a million times. <laughs> we've all had every fight you, we can have in every permutation, and we haven't necessarily resolved those things. It's just, it, it's this sort of, um, uh, uh, like, Cold War checkmate kind of thing where if I say this, he's going to say that, and then he's going to say this, and then yeah. I'm going to say that, and then we're going to end up nowhere. So let's just fucking skip it because we didn't That's do it. Great. We didn't do it once. We did it 35 <laughs> times. Right. That makes it better. Uh, well, why do uh, I'm thinking this, but why say it to him? Because it's going to make him say that, and then I'm going to storm out. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's great. Uh, even the Bengals. I interviewed Susanna Hobbs. I heard that. Yeah, and she's they, great, isn't she? She was amazing. Mm-hmm. She was super amazing. She's so smart and stuff. And um, uh, but they split up at the height of their fame like Eternal Flame was number one like their last album and they split up because they had been together too long and they I think they didn't like they they thought they started off as a like a psychedelic leaning pop act pop rock uh, rock act and then by the time it was Eternal Flame it was it's such a goddamn shame because I have actually had this internal struggle in myself listening to the Bengals being like no, I like the other ones as much as Susanna Hoff, but it's like, no, no you don't. She just <laughs> really, really had a thing, and her singing Eternal Flame is one of the most in, in yes. dor- adorable and sexy things I've ever heard in my entire life. Absolutely, and she has a star quality kind of thing. E- exactly, and I think that was, it was hard for them to face the fact that it made sense to yeah. feature her and to go in more of a yeah. pop direction. And I can yeah. see why. And I can see why they would argue, because they all, well, they had like... Th- they had songwriters write songs, and but they all they were great songwriters, and they all wrote an equal amount of songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't because uh, Suzanne wrote more songs than they did. So, yeah, so I can totally see why they would think that. Yeah, but I could totally see why they would be jealous. It was that one sideward glance in the walk like an Egyptian. The one video. thing, yeah, I know. I, know. I, know. <laughs> I asked her about that. I think she says she, she like she looked that way a lot. And their was it their first album or the first two albums are great pop rock albums. Like, mm-hmm. like I grew up like loving power pop, like going down to Liverpool. It's great. That's a great song. Mm-hmm. That's it's a cover. They did not write that song. But they did not great. write that song. Uh, Kimberly Rue wrote it of Katrina and the Waves. Oh, I didn't know that because yeah. they talk about UB40s, which were uh, the slips you used in the British unemployment line. Yes, which is also the inspiration for the reggae band UB40. Exactly, and he was British, the the songwriter. And where are you going with that UB40 in your hand? Yeah, exactly. You see, you have a lovely singing voice. Well, thank you very much. Uh, as a um, better because of Taurus. <laughs> as you are kind of like a very famous cult figure. Yeah, yeah, I'm a very big minor. Which is a weird celebrity. place to be. <laughs> big minor celebrity. I would love to know who is the biggest major celebrity you've ever encountered in all your years who was really excited to meet you. Uh, I said this story in another interview, Can I, and it's sort of a cheat because it's not a... Can I say this? Say it again? It's been a year. Absolutely, positively. Thank you very much. Um, well, Dave Foley and I... Uh, we didn't meet till we were teenagers, but without knowing each other, we grew up loving Ernie Kovacs. Do you know Ernie Kovacs? Mm-mm. Comedy genius. He was such a genius in the 50s that uh, after a season of his sketch comedy show, it was always canceled, and another network would take it up, and then it was canceled. And another, it was absurdism. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the Will Arnett of his day. He was the Will Arnett. Oh, even more than Will Arnett's brilliant, but, but more than, he was the Monty Python of his day. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one, uh, two sketches I remember. I'll be quick. I swear to God. Um, <laughs> th- they talked about a like a farm wife, and she's like a folksy farm wife, and she um, uh, and she drew some pictures. That, to her surprise, I just did some uh, doodling, and and I've sold a lot, and I got to show up in a gallery, and it's like uh, data art. It's just like a dot, and like, and she said, "This is a cow," and it's just like a dot and stuff. Like he wrote that in the fifties, and uh, there's a thing about a Russian chess player, and they set it up forever. There's no laughs for six minutes. Wow. And there's only a laugh at the end if you think it's funny, which America didn't, only I think it's funny, where the Russian chess player is taking a long time. And there's a, an announcer saying, this is the World Chess Championship. And the, and the Russian player finally moves, and he's waiting for his opponent. And his opponent is a guy in a gorilla suit who just jumps on the table. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very funny. Uh, he was way ahead of his time. Anyway, in 1990, after our first season, uh, we were brought up the H, uh, HBO. We were nominated for Ace Awards, which was the only awards HBO the was allowed for. Awards, the Cable sure, Ace Awards, yeah, you and Dream On, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Gary Shandling, Larry Sanders, yeah, Gary Shandling, <laughs> yeah. uh, and um, we were at the party before, and all of a sudden, I heard a, 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 a like an older woman, was she in her fifties or sixties, scream. And uh, she came over, and it was Edie Adams, who's famous in her own right, but she was Ernie Kovacs' wife, and she was a famous singer. And she she screamed like like we were the Beatles, uh, this 68-year-old woman. And uh, she said, Ernie would have loved you. 
and like uh, Dave and I started crying because we're Canadian. That's lovely. Yes. You were on the Canadian Walk of Fame. Kids yes. All are jointly. I'm curious who are you? What sort of celebrities are you adjacent to? I think we're in between um, uh, BTO and Buck a guy and Overdrive. Okay. Yeah, okay. And Take a guy business. who played a moose in a Canadian kids show in 1978. Oh come on! <laughs> it's something like that. Man. It's, it's something like you wouldn't know. There's mm-hmm. someone who who had a puppet as a bunny or, or something Canadian. Um, Canada is so dependably Canadian. I really, yes. I've really come to embrace it. Uh, the other show that I'm on is I think more people listen to it in Canada than in America. There so you go. I've been making fun of Canada in the hacky way that Americans do, for and like, we would love it for like 12 years now. Mm-hmm. And 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 at this point, it really is a joke because they, uh, you guys are clearly. Winning in, in every every which way, especially nowadays. Politically, yes, uh, yeah, uh, we would love. It. Yes, uh, well, the Canadian Walk of Fame is is full of like people like Jim Carrey and Mike Myers, mm-hmm. and uh, and just Canadian celebrities you wouldn't know, um, like the, the LaPluff family. I'm not familiar with the Rene Samard. Mm, now, I mean, when you go French Canadian, you're getting doubly. okay. That, that's like cheating. Okay. Because I mean, are those people even necessarily very big? De- I, I assume they have very strong bases in the the French Canadian yeah, community. Yeah, but uh, I, I mention them because I know them because because they were so big mm-hmm. in the Canadian uh, that the, we had heard of them. That's yeah, right, 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 right. Yes, uh, Mike Myers is a guest on Kevin McDonald's yes. Kevin McDonald show. Is w- what existing relationship is there there? Because <laughs> uh, you did not just call him and get him to do that. Obviously, I emailed him. Okay, but you did you did not call him without an existing relationship. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm so honest in a boring way. I actually, technically, I emailed him. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I didn't think I would call him. Uh, no. Uh, well, when I was 19, after I was kicked out of uh, college for acting, after three months, which was kind of sad, um, they said I was a one-legged actor that could only do comedy. Oh, mm-hmm. but the guy who kicked me out, the dean of the college... He he was a one-legged actor because a lighting grid had fallen on his leg oh, during on. a production of Pippin, and that's why he went to, to teaching. Did he was limping around me, telling me that I was a one-legged actor. Did he notice the irony of what he was he, saying? He did not. Oh, come on. And because I'm cursed with comedy, I'm sad, I'm crying, I, mean, I have to tell my mother how the money was wasted. Right. And But I'm also laughing, oh my God, he's a one-legged actor. Uh, so anyway. I mean, talk, talk about the pot calling the kettle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, one-legged. Uh, so as I was walking the long, as I cleaned up my locker and I walked to the bus, I had three buses, a subway and a streetcar and a bus to get to the suburb where, to tell my mother, um, uh, my improv teacher said, oh, you should take second city workshops. Oh, by the way, this is interesting. He was the, uh, he later became the smoking man in the X-Files. Oh, William, I remember. William yeah. Davis. William Davis. Oh, wow. Cool. All right. Improv- so anyway, my first second city workshop, it was all people over 35 and there were just two na- uh, teenagers, Mike Myers and I. And, oh, and right away he was seventeen. I was nineteen. Everybody else was over thirty-five, but he was even like two years younger than me, which seemed like a fortune younger. It does at that point, yeah. Yes, and he, I say this a lot, but I'm going to say it again. Um, I was a lumpy potato potential that I had to learn a lot. He was as good as he ever was at seventeen, and uh, I had that gunfighter theory of comedy, where because um, I grew up in a suburb called Mississauga, where I was the fastest on the draw, I was the funniest, and he was the first guy I thought that could outdraw me. When I first uh, saw him, and we we were close for a year. We tr- we tried to start a comedy troupe, but I was too intimidated by him and his ideas. They were wild and weird, and um, anything that sort of came up later in yeah any incarnation. No, uh, uh, for, no, I don't think so. He, he like he came up with ideas so fast. Mm-hmm. I reminded him on the podcast because you heard it that he used to speak. Uh, he used to do shtick where he spoke French in a Scottish accent, huh. which, which is really wild. To, yeah, uh, to hear like stuff like that. Um, and anyway, he was the, uh, he says in my podcast that Catherine O'Hara was younger than him, but I think he's wrong. I think he's the youngest guy ever to be hired by Second City. Um, so we had that relationship. Of course, I was really sad because I took my workshops for a year and the first, uh, workshop without him, um, uh, another young guy, um, who's the same age as Mike, Dave Foley came into the, uh, the class. I see. I understand. But anyway, so, um, uh, Mike and I, as the years went by and separate adventure, we got less close. We do see each other every like few years. And um, but we have that year mm-hmm. of being like our only comedy friends, and those years are those are kind of the yeah. the, the years. Those are those are dog years in, in in memory. He was my yeah exactly exactly. He was my first comedy girlfriend. That's touching, and I think he's he's because he's kept such a low profile for as long as he has. 
we live in such a everybody's in your face all the time what with social media and people being on their computers and stuff that if you haven't done anything in a long time you I don't want to say get forgotten nobody's forgotten Mike Myers but when they talk about who is the greatest SNL performer of all time I don't feel like he comes up in the conversation and it's like ah, <laughs> nobody's clearly better than Mike <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly great and Eddie Murphy's great and all that but, exactly uh, I'm glad to see he's back sometimes he's it works some... the other way I, I was hoping it was working the other way with Mike that if you stay uh, away for a long time like there's a myth because you see me the least, mm-hmm. that I'm the best kid in the hall. But that's because it's a cool thing to say. Because <laughs> I think you see me the least. Oh, you're just you're just saying that. I mean, you were always. I I thought you were the the funniest one, and that's that's totally. Well, the myth is that the other four think I'm the naturally funniest. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned earlier that you were the shticky one. I was the shticky one. I, I'm the what one does that, that even I, mean. Like I, I'll make a face to get a laugh. I don't oh, know. Like, why. Like, were like they I'll too good for that? <laughs> no, they'll make faces, but like I'll make a lot of faces. Yeah. I see. Uh, I can't think of jokes as naturally as they do. Um, uh, it, this is my theory. Being naturally funniest means if it's like an Olympic event and you get points for finishing first, second, and third, I will get second place in everything. In uh, jokes, I'll get in second place. In the faces, I'll get in, in um, uh, falling, I'll get in doing a spit take, I'll get in second place. So if you stack the points up, I beca- uh, I end up in first place. You win the Kids yeah. in the Hall decathlon. But yes, exactly. But in the decathlon, I never ever finish first in the bow and arrow or anything. I just finish second. Gotcha. And uh, Gin Blossoms. Yes. Are on. Are you a fan of Gin yes. Blossoms? Yes. Oh, well, that album. Uh, what's that? The, 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 yeah, look it up. What's the great album? Uh, uh, All their oh, albums are good, but that- uh, Oh, boy. Because that album happened when we were meeting them. Uh, I almost remember. I feel like uh, no, August and everything after was uh, Counting Crows. Right. Uh, yeah, I know. The Hey Jealousy. And, yeah, Hey Jealousy and the other one. Uh, that was a great I, album. Till I Hear It From You. Yeah. Um, everywhere You Go. But the album was Counting Crows. I, I I don't know. I was actually not a fan of the, the Gin Blossoms. That's a great album. It's a great, it's a, it's a rootsy pop album that's really dark uh you could i could see that he seemed like a bitter a bitter man well, singing the album guy ready who, rock well and the, he radio ready rock and i think he only wrote one song the 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 songs were split in half by jesse who's a, a brilliant songwriter and the other guy who i forget his name but he wrote the the songs that were the the two hits and his songs were really dark <clears throat> so dark i think he uh committed suicide i think i recall call that um which uh, for that reason alone i should probably temper how much i've criticized them on the air on on my other show but every time i say it every i get a really it's become this running thing with me on twitter because there are so many people who feel the way that you do and nobody cares if you take a pot shot at a just a universally shitty band then nobody cares but yeah, every exactly. time it comes up somebody feels they... compelled to be like dude you're actually out of your fucking mind <laughs> blossoms and it's it's this that album thing. like it's the greatest dark light pop out like, there's real darkness in that album you you can sort of tell the writer's on a downward spiral or the writer of half the songs are in a, yeah um, what's my favorite kind of music i'll let you know uh please big star replacements music that's great pop but it's so rough it seems like the group's going to split up halfway through the recording of the song oh that's interesting because i kind of like the same thing but totally different i love <laughs> i love when a, a a band is doing like half pop and half something that has no business being pop right and they somehow make those things work like the smiths is probably my favorite band amazing. we love the smiths in the 80s we uh, were there in the 80s we love the smiths i, I could i would imagine so yeah. you know amazing hooks and like i liked um uh, my wife is a big bjork fan i find bjork has, yes. lo- has lost me of late because she has lost the pop uh. element and that's great she's got to evolve and she's making yeah. virtual reality videos and that's great for her but that's where she lost me so you like fractured- tied down to pop i agree with you tied but, down to pop so you like fractured pop as well but you you, when you can tell that there's actual human yeah. pain and dissension involved. Yeah, like the Beatles near the end when uh, John and Paul weren't getting along. Yeah. You hear that in the music. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. When they go, whatever <laughs> song goes before Let It Be, you're like, ooh, those two, <laughs> this is not the same band anymore. Yeah, exactly. And that's um, uh, that to me is the best kind of pop. You also had um, uh, the guy from Crash Test Dummies on your show, Brad. Yes, Brad, yes. See a lot of people get down on that band. I personally love them. Well, I think he's a great songwriter, and also I know him because I'm uh, accidentally living in Winnipeg now because I fell in love with a woman in Winnipeg. Oh, I used to live here in Los Angeles. I'm pointing at Los Angeles, uh, and um, and he, they're from Winnipeg. And um, what, back then, I I loved that album. I bought the song. I bought the album. I love that song, Superman. I loved it, but I it wasn't like one of my all-time favorite things i just like cuz i love a lot of things but when he did it live with just an acoustic guitar and 
it was one of the best moments of my life, like better than any wedding I've had. It was like one of the best moments I've ever had in my life. Uh, like it, it was, oh, I get the song so much now. I get it. I get it. Like uh, some of John Lennon's songs, he sings exactly what he's saying. But there's some songs like I'm the Walrus where he's not making any sense, but you still sort of feel what he, he still means something. And that's sort of like Superman, I think. And when we just hear him on acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a, it's, and when you're there in the room, it was amazing. Wallace Shawn, um, he I turned know. he turned to me and said, uh, "He wrote that song." And they're friends now. Wallace Shawn like hangs wow. out with uh, with Brad. He got Wallace Shawn too. So you, you, I mean, you can get a really amazing caliber of guest. You have um, a, um, I mean, obviously, you have relationships, but you also have this, you know, this huge reputation as well. And I think people are happy to meet you and to work with you. Who is your dream guest for Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald <laughs> Show? And have you asked them to be on it yet? And if not. Why? Because you can get anybody you want. <laughs> I have asked, um, and I love this person, but I, I explained to you the music I like, Replacements, uh, Pixies, uh, Camper and Beethoven. Very very angry bands. <laughs> yes. So this is not the type of music you would expect, but he's such a great songwriter. I love him. And he's the one of the biggest, most famous people in the world. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen. I thought Bruce Springsteen would be such a great guest. He's so smart. I thought he would be a great guest. And, uh-huh. I, and I do love, like, um, I do love his albums. Um uh, Have you ever gotten any indication Dr. over the years that Bruce is uh, a Kids in the Hall fan? No, I just thought I'd ask him. I think you ought to. <laughs> I mean, there's not a natural, if I'm doing the Venn diagram of, yeah, exactly. of, of you and him. It makes sense. I'm yeah. not sure they overlap entirely, but I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for you. It makes sense. He likes uh, he likes the group Suicide. and the, like, There's Does a he? six degrees of separation. Bruce he, has heard of the band Suicide? He, I th- he either said it's his favorite group or their big song is his favorite song. We're talking about the Springsteen from New Jersey, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Russell Springsteen, <laughs> also from New Jersey. Uh, yeah, I, I, for some reason, I thought it'd be one of those crazy things um, uh, that might uh, that might go. Bruce Springsteen, well, Steve I'm... Martin would be a dream, but I don't think you ever say no. You hear things really? like John Travolta's a like a like a Kids in the Hall fan, but um, uh, I don't know. He seems so. Um, do we? You don't really. Uh, more and more, one of the great things about this digital age and viral videos and all that is, so many people are willing to like send themselves up and be realer than you ever thought that they would yes. be. I don't feel like Travolta has entered that fray. Not yet. It would be great if he. It's 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 almost as if there's something sort of guarded. I'll about wait. Him. I, I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait to ask him until he's entered that fray. <laughs> <laughs> then he's ripe for the picking. Yes. Oh, uh, random question: How did you end yes. up in an outcast video? Um. Uh, my manager at the time was also the manager of Eugene Levy, mm-hmm. and the director Brian Barber, who I think went on to direct a lot of movies. Um, he said, uh, he, "Can I get Eugene Levy?" And Eugene Levy was in Toronto all the time because uh, we were, uh, this one I was living in L.A. And then uh, my manager said, "I have a kid in the hall." And Brian Barber said, "I love them. Don't even tell me which one. I don't care. Just send them." And uh, I, I went down to a high school in East L.A. and for an all-night shoot. I remember they used the the giant uh, school locker room as a dressing room, and I remember being uh, 200 feet away from Nicole Richie, who was also in the video. Uh-huh. I don't think she knew who I was, but she she looked at it, she saw someone was there, and she like waved, and it was kind of nice. And oh, I, that's nice. And I waved back, and it was the best food of any shoot I've ever done. The food was amazing. Really, what a whole classroom about? full of food. We're talking about every kind of food there is in the world: mm-hmm. um, um, Southern food, like Southern states food, uh, uh, Greek food, Italian food, uh, French food, every kind of food you can name. Mexican food. It was uh, it, it was amazing. Outcast has got class. I like that. Yes. It's a great album. I was very happy. I was very lucky because I would have said yes anyway, Mm -hmm. but I just bought the album and I loved it. And I even said um, uh, to my partner at the time, this is like a Prince album from the 80s. It was like a Prince album from the 80s. That's not a crazy thing to say. At least the Andre side of it was. Yeah, at least the Andre side of it, yes. Um, Speaking of food, you are a vegetarian since I have read you had the quote-unquote chicken dream. The chicken dream, yes. Which seems to imply that there is like a poultry Jungian archetype, archetype that I am not familiar with. Yes, uh, <laughs> and since this is a good therapy session, you should uh, learn this. Uh, the chicken dream is, uh, first I'd quit red meat, and I thought that would be it, because uh, I never really liked red meat that much, and my uh, partner at the time was vegetarian. And then um, on my 40th birthday, uh, my friend um, Craig, Northy from The Odds, great Canadian band. You ever heard of The Odds? Sorry. It's okay. And uh, he took me to this... Uh, artsy Greek movie Greek again uh, Outcast was there no and um, uh, there's a scene where uh, it's a tragedy but halfway through the movie the farmer the hard-bitten farmer everyone, he takes a chicken and in real time he really 
chops the head off the mm-hmm. chicken and he plucks all the feathers off. Uh, and it was hard to watch. And also, I had two lovebirds from a previous relationship. I never thought I should have birds in a cage. I didn't like that. But I, I brought them to uh, to California, and uh, the only place to hang them was over the kitchen table where uh, where we ate, and, oh. and we would eat chicken, and the, uh, the birds would make noises. Maybe that was my imagination. So anyway, that night when I went to bed, I had one of those dreams that seemed real because you're dreaming that you're sleeping in bed. Okay. And this giant chicken pushed the bed and said, Kevin, Kevin, wake up. You got to stop eating us. It's crazy. You have lovebirds. You got to stop eating. And then I stopped. You're making that up. It's a, a absolute God's honest truth. Uh, chicken, and I'm a Catholic. Chicken with, uh, a plucked chicken or chicken with feathers? Chicken with feathers. Uh, it was, it was a, like a like a cartoon chicken. It was like a rooster Cogburn. Or, no, no <laughs> what's that rooster's name in the cartoon? A foghorn leghorn? Foghorn leghorn. Yeah, it was like foghorn leghorn, which is more like a rooster. Yeah. yeah. It's a very bossy chicken. Yeah. And that was the end of you and chicken. That was the end of me, chicken. Uh, yeah, that, that, that was it. Kevin, you got to stop eating us. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, uh, we have a couple minutes left. Uh, real quick. It's I've gone seen... by really quick. Yeah, I, I'm really enjoying this. It's really been pleasant. I'm sorry I wasn't as edgy as I would have been if I had a better you've, voice. You've been plenty edgy, and we're going to add all sorts of edge in post, so don't even worry Thank about you it. This is going to be very controversial by the time it goes You can do that it. nowadays, add edge in post. That's yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, it seems inevitable uh, Kids in the Hall will at some point do more stuff. Yes. You guys seem like the uh, uh, Netflix and you seem like a thing that will inevitably collide. I'm sure there's already been conversations. There have. On both sides. And there have. Is that going to happen? I mean, can well, you uh, 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 the powers the be, him or her again, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they want us very badly. And we have all these new ske- – we've written so many new sketches over the years for mm-hmm. our tours. And we'd have no problem writing even newer sketches. But we already have enough for like six episodes. The problem is just getting us together when we're not busy at the same time. Sure. Will there ever be, a, in your opinion, a last Kids in the Hall? Or will it just be, eh, we get together every five or ten years until three of us die? <laughs> yes, uh, uh, me being one. Well, uh, I, 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 like you read back later about the Money Python thing, <clears throat> and they don't come out and say it, but it seems to me part of the impetus was because they knew Terry Jones was very sick and soon he wouldn't be able to do anything. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was also, I have no idea if this is true. I'm making this up. I, I, I haven't read this. Maybe also to help get money for him as he got sicker. Oh, I see. But I'm making that up. I yeah. have no idea if that's true. Because what does he have dementia or something? I'm not sure. And it was one of the last times, uh, pretty quickly after that, he, he got to the point where he couldn't. So uh, if we get that, one of us get that way. <laughs> but I don't think we're like too sentimental. Um, if everyone's doing great and we're young enough, we'll never, uh, we won't be like Motley Crue. This is really our last, um, unless we know it is. I see. Um, I would personally, I'd love to see you guys be super old guys doing, I mean, I mean, the, the, as, <coughs> as you are well aware, the older you get, the funnier calling yourself kids in the hall becomes. Yeah, exactly. So that's a gift that will continue. That will uh, exactly. flourish and mushroom in the years to come. Like Roger Daltrey singing, hope I die before I get old. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> and now he's on stage yelling at people for smoking pot in the crowd. Yes. That's a real thing that happened. Exactly. And, uh, finally wow. Invader Zim movie. Nickelodeon. Yes. That's awesome. Yes, uh, it, it's um, uh, the cool comedy nerds, the the thick glasses people mm-hmm. uh, with the sideburns. Mm-hmm. Uh, they either uh, come to me and talk about kids in the hall, or they talk to me about Invader Zim. Yep, and I'm doing both. There you go. Mm-hmm. Invader Zim is, um, uh, I guess, is the second proudest thing I, uh, I've done. Though I keep forgetting, I only had a recurring part. <laughs> it feels like I've done more, but I. Uh, oh really? I yeah, guess you weren't in every purple yeah. and red weren't in every episode. They were uh, because a lot, most of it just took place on Earth. Earthbound, and, yeah. And then you cut to us back. Um, uh, but the movie script is uh, as hilarious as the show was, and um, it was so much fun to be. I did all my parts all in one day, a Nickelodeon uh, a few weeks ago, and it was hilarious. And it was just like um, the, I felt like a child of forty six again. It was just like the old days. Well, that's great. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that, and I have to let you go. Yes, thank uh, you, Kevin McDonald, the host and the creator and the namesake of Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show, available wherever podcasts are available. You are at. Kevin the Kith, K-I-T-H, is in yes. Kids in the Hall on Twitter. Uh, thank you, buddy. Your voice held out. We made it. Yes. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Stuff from my dead mother. <laughs>